Good morning. Now I can say truthfully, congratulations on your new pastor coming. That's something to be thankful for. Uh, some churches wait for years before they get a new pastor. I think it's only been a year, I think, for you guys, so that's, that's wonderful. Let's just uh, quickly bow in prayer. Uh, Father, thank you now for the return of this time of being under the authority of your word. And uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you will quiet the things that are going on around us. And you quiet our minds that are filled with so many things. And be able to concentrate on your word and that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you might minister to us correction, grace, love, hope, assurance. Help us, Lord, we pray. And we will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open that. We're going to begin at reading at verse 20. I do want to say I've enjoyed my ministry here amongst you. It's been, it's been my pleasure, and I hope you have benefited from it. Verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that verse alone tells us that Jesus expects a certain type of righteous lifestyle that exceeds the Pharisees, but uh, we need to remember ourselves that we need to live a righteous life in order to be in the will of God and his Son, God the Father, and, our, and, the, and, the, and the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Reading at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. It is so important that we realize that the absolute necessity for us as Christians to obey the law of God as Jesus teaches here. These are not optional words. Before I go on, I realize that many of the sermons, 
I have are kind of heavy. And uh, I, I'm not apologizing for that, but they are necessary. Um, I don't preach fluff. And uh, so if they feel that it's heavy, don't think I'm picking on you individually. <laughs> I, I do this in all the churches I'm at. It's Christ's word to us that needs to change us. And uh, let's, let's hold on to that. We know that we are not saved by obedience to the law. But what Jesus is teaching us here is not legalism. We're not going to say if we do all of these things that he teaches here in chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7, that somehow that's going to transform us. Only the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross is the answer to our sins. We can never live a perfect, righteous life. Having said that, though, we must be exceedingly focused and desirous and put into action these laws that Jesus says. Jesus is dead serious about these laws. They are not optional. But if you ever stood back and thought about the law of God and asked yourself, what was God's intention? What was God after in giving the law? What is the concern of the law overall? I want to tell you, it, I could easily answer this, to love God and love others, that's true. But I'm just going to redirect it a bit here and say what God is concerned about is our relationships with one another. And God is so marvelous God is so marvelous to be concerned on how we treat one another. I mean, why would God bother? He could be doing and focusing on hundreds of other things. But what is he concerned about? Our relationships with him and our relationships with one another. God is a marvelous, caring, loving and gracious and wise God. And we should rejoice and pray. I thank you for the music, the praise that we have here. It's wonderful to sing that together. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. John, uh, Jesus says in verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Now you're going to hear him say that if you read on into this chapter. A number of times he's going to say, you have heard that it was said to those of old, or some other phrase like that. Every time we hear Jesus say that in this sermon, he is quoting the law as was taught by the scribes and Pharisees. So what were they teaching? They taught, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. They were quoting the sixth of the tenth commandments, thou shalt not murder, and... Uh, And it was true that anyone who did murder, that they would be liable to judgment. 
But what then was wrong with what the Pharisees were teaching? Jesus says in verse 22, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The intent of the law was more than just physical the physical act of murder. The law was meant to go down deep into our hearts where the root of murder begins. Where does murder stem from? Where is it conceived? It's conceived in the heart, and the first thing it shows in is anger. Now, having said that, is all anger sinful? What'd you say? No, okay. Is it okay to rebuke someone if they have offended you? Yes. If you cannot forbear it, what they've done to you, you need to go tell them privately, one-on-one, -on -one, not tell everybody else, that's often what happens, we like to gather a crowd and put them in our corner so that when we finally go to deal with it, uh, we look really, really good and they look really, really bad. So we've built a case against them. But always go first, foremost, one-on-one. -on -one. But as you go, bring facts and bring the grace of God with you in your speech. There is also a good anger. If you're witnessing to unbelievers, sooner or later you're going to hear this about Jesus if you're talking to someone about him being sinless. They're going to say, well, didn't Jesus get angry? Look, he made a whip and he chased those money changers out of the temple. Uh, wasn't he losing his temper there? What's the difference between anger and Jesus' anger in that case? Don Carson will say this. Uh, he's a theologian that I highly recommend. Our problem is that we burn with indignation and anger, not at sin and injustice, but at offense to ourselves. In none of the cases in which Jesus became angry, was his personal ego wrapped up in the issue. Jesus always checked his ego outside. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that phrase. I'm not even sure if I'm saying it right anymore. But you used to check your coat at the door. And we need to, when we're going into a uh, some sort of convention or whatever, but... We check our ego at the door. We check our ego out every day. It's not to be what controls us and what's behind our anger. It is good to be angry against false teaching, false prophecy that leads others astray, or when someone is being unmerciful to the needy, that's a time, like when our seniors' issues here in the nursing homes, those things, we 
we should be angry at. But we need to be alert to the fact that the majority of our anger is about someone offending us personally. And we need to deal with that. And Jesus, in no small measure here, is commanding us to do that. I don't think I've ever met a person who, has not, who does not have problems with anger. Anger, I don't believe it's an accident that Jesus starts off this way either. Anger shows itself in many ways. When you think of someone angry, and I'm asking this out loud and looking for your participation this morning. When you think of someone being angry, what do you think of? Yelling. Thank you. Pardon me? Nasty words. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Someone red-faced about to blow up. Murdering someone's character. Part of anger. Refusing to have anything to do with a person. And yes, the silent treatment is a form of anger. Now, it's one of those things, the silent treatment, though, you can make it look, well, I'm not losing my cool, right? You can sit and justify yourself that way, but you, we all need to deal with this. Anger is very much a part of our makeup. Now, in verse 22, Jesus says a number of things here that give rise to different interpretations. And I used to have one of these different interpretations, that it goes from uh, severity, uh, from little to the worse. It goes from anger to insults to calling someone you fool. And in light of that, the judgments got worse. It went from judgment to going to before the council to hellfire. I used to think that that was a progression. As your anger got worse, the more danger you were in. But I don't believe that anymore. I believe these are all equally evil in the sight of God. And we are commanded to deal with it. And Jesus' way of teaching here is to take in uh, our minds get us to focus, and he builds that up so that we are following him to where he, he comes. He wants us to be serious about dealing with anger. And, you know, uh, you, the tip-off here for me is that you don't send anyone to court for anger, right? Uh, Laura back there is having trouble with the silent treatment. I wouldn't have her put in jail for the, the silent treatment. So I think that's a tip-off here by Jesus to help us. But what he's doing here, he's helping us, helping them and helping us with the legal system back then that they knew it would go from judgment to counsel 
And Hellfire, he's really drawing our attention and drawing our attention to the uh, the intensity of our anger. Anger, uh, insulting people, and calling someone a fool. Now, just a word of caution. Anytime I hear about anger, I hear nothing about the person who is provoking anger. I don't know if you're aware of that or if that happens to you. All I ever hear about, your anger is your own and you deal with it. And that's true. Amen? We have to deal with our own anger. But is it possible to provoke someone to anger? Mm-hmm. Jesus says in verse 23, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and though, and then come and offer your gift. Now, we're not told exactly here. We're not given a particular instance. Uh, uh, some might uh, believe that this is a person who is upset by someone calling them a fool and is upset enough that they're angry and uh, they won't have anything to do with the other person. But even if your brother is solely upset with something that you've said to them, that upset means that they're likely angry and that you've provoked them to anger and that you need to deal with it. Are we responsible to make things right if we have provoked someone to anger? Now, the whole message here is that God wants us to be reconciled with one another. I love the word reconciliation, but let me put no... uh, Let me not candy-coat it at all. Sometimes it's really difficult. This is not easy. Jesus is not calling us to do something easy here. He's calling us to do something that really is beyond our own strength, the strength that we need from him. Listen to what he says. He wants us to reconcile, and he wants us to do it as quickly as possible. Jesus says, if you are in an act of worship and remember you have done something that has hurt or upset someone, leave off worshiping, keep God waiting, and first be reconciled with the person you have upset, and then return to worship. So Jesus is giving this message somewhere in Galilee on on this mountain. Uh, Jerusalem is like probably three days' walk uh, from where he is right now. And he says, if a person is going to uh, perform an act of worship in the temple to give something. And he's done this journey, and he gets right to the altar, and he's going to present his gift there. And all of a sudden, he remembers, oh, that person is upset with me because I've hurt them, I've provoked them to anger. He says, leave the gift. This is the only time you're to ever keep God waiting. You leave it, and then you go. And you go, and you are 
three days journey back <laughs> and make make reconcile with your brother and then come back and offer your gift. I see people who are trying to reconcile though. When you're trying to reconcile, you are committing a act of worship to God. So, many of you will know this verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down in your wrath. Give no opportunity to the devil. Now, when he says, let not the sun go down on your wrath, what does he mean? Uh, I have a little fun with this because uh, I'm guilty. Yes, I do have trouble with anger at times, as all of you do, so I know we're having good company. But if you're with your spouse... And uh, you've done something wrong. You're not getting along. And let's say it happened at 9 o'clock in the morning. Am I to wait till I go to sleep at night while I'm in bed with my spouse and then finally deal with it? Is that what it's teaching? Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Is that what he's saying? I want to tell you, I used to operate on that principle. The fact is, what Jesus wants is it done quickly. Don't let it fester. Don't let it stew. It doesn't get better, and it doesn't get easier. He, that's how important reconciliation is to God. Uh, I want to warn you, too, that you never get away with hurting someone. You'll never get away with it. You might think it's funny at times, depending on what the occasion is. You won't get away with it. God's watching over our relationships, and he expects us to be reconciliation, to have reconciliation between us and not to be hurting ourselves, each other. I encourage you to place your ego aside because that's, it's our pride. When we get hurt or someone says something or does something to us, it's our ego that's involved, and it's that that we must deal with. Wouldn't it be great if all of us, all the time, in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, towards our neighbors, if all of us had our anger under control? Isn't God marvelous that he 
he's even worried about that, even concerned about that. I, I just think that's wonderful. Having said all of that, now I end on this. Pray for the Lord's help. When you've messed up and you've hurt somebody, the first thing you need to do is not try to justify what you've done. Go to the Lord for help. I want to tell you that is the wisest advice I can ever give. It has worked for me, and without his help, I'd be in a whole lot of trouble. My wife's grace can only go so far. When you pray for help, this is what I'll guarantee, and this is the greatest encouragement I can give you this morning. When you pray for help with your relationships, you and another person is not getting along well, something's happened there that has really provoked you or you provoked them, Know this, the Lord wants to help you. He has a vested interest in all of your relationships. In your marriage, he instituted marriage. He instituted the family. He has a vested interest in that. He instituted the church. He has a vested interest in what goes on in the church. And he wants our love in the church to exceed anything else that is in this world. As I say, the Lord has brought at times where I thought, man, what I did this time is not forgivable or going to be so hard to forgive that person, uh, they'll, they'll just, just be angry at me forever. The relationship had ended every time I've come. When I thought there was no hope, the Lord breathed into that and brought healing. And he can heal anything that you're going through. We need the Lord's strength. And being anger-free makes us peace-filled. Lord, help us in all of our relationships. Take care of one another. As you go on, I'll be praying for you. With your new pastor, obviously you'll have some different trials and different adjustments. There'll be times when you're provoked. Sometimes when people will say things against you or you say the wrong thing. It happens in every church, under every pastor. It doesn't matter who it is. No one I'll be praying for you as time goes on here. And the Lord bring uh, such a love between you and your pastor and for one another that that witness will go out to all of the surrounding areas and say, this is a church that loves one another and takes care of one another. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Your healing, forgiving power. We thank you for your reconciliation first with us and all of the reconciliation that we've ever needed. 
between friends and family and church members and so forth, Lord, we pray that our anger will be only at sin and injustice and not because our egos are personally offended. Help us, O oh God, to be sensitive to others, to be watchful, keep a guard over our tongues, Lord, and our actions, our attitudes that can affect others. But thank you, you are a God that gives us strength, a God who gives us peace. Help us, O God, we pray. Bless this church. Encourage it greatly. May you exceed all of their dreams. In Jesus' name, amen.